HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are listening to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you're listening to The Farm Report. And I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. I started investing my own funds into just buying food, any food, um, noodles, ramen noodles, um, anything. As long as it could be consumed, I thought this was what I'm supposed to do until reality checked in 2006. And then I found out that I had a 23% um, families with diabetes, a larger percent with obesity. You can't just give families anything because it's edible. It's medicine. It's, it's healing. Food is tradition. Food is culture. Food is very, very, very spiritual on so many different levels. All right, starting the show off a little bit different here today. Um, We are joined in studio by a number of special guests, and we'll get to introducing everyone in just a second. But I want to start with you, Manolia, um, Managing Editor for Feet in Two Worlds. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. So today we're talking about um, a really interesting project that you've been working on through Feet in Two Worlds, looking at community gardens and community uh, feeding one another in Brownsville and Bed-Stuy. And... I wanted to start off by getting a little bit of background on uh, your work through Feed Into Worlds and what brought you to the project. So Feed Into Worlds is a media platform that helps bring the work of immigrant journalists and journalists of color to public radio and the web. Uh, It also trains these journalists and it also covers different kinds of stories from the different immigrant and migrants who are from different countries, hence Feed Into Worlds. And it's been around for almost 10 years. It's a project of the New School. Executive producer John Rudolph started the project um, 
through a documentary in which he actually um, did stories of people who are from different places and throughout New York City. And so we've been doing this work this last decade covering different um, different aspects of the immigrant life here in New York. So earlier this summer, we decided that we're going to do a magazine issue about immigrant women and food, particularly. And I, I pitched a story to do women who grow food in central Brooklyn. And I my first thought was around Bed-Stuy. And so I did some research and through Brooklyn Community Foundation and Brooklyn Food Coalition, I got in touch with Dr. Meloni Samuels, who you guys just heard her clip. She is the founder and director of the Bed-Stuy Campaign Against Hunger, Brooklyn's largest food pantry. They uh, run about three community gardens, and they have a weekly farm stand as well, and several programs. You'll hear more about that later. And also Ms. Brenda Thompson Duchenne, who heads Isabalia Ladies Elegance Foundation out in Brownsville. They run three community gardens. Um, Dr. Samuels and Mr. Shen are from Jamaica and Aruba, respectively. And you also heard earlier from Dara Cooper. She's a director of fitness programs over at Bed-Stuy Restoration Corporation. And so what we did was we heard from these women talking about their work, how they got started in the work, how their culture and where they came from influenced um, them deciding to do gardens and how they work with the community for what the community wanted and needed and to, to serve a and meet the needs of the culture and meet the needs of health that, that Central Brooklyn had. And you were kind of prompted to tell this story in the podcast format because you felt like the way the story was being told didn't kind of mash up with what you were experiencing. Is that right? Yes. I come to journalism from a very personal background. I am Haitian, uh, and I'm born in Brooklyn. And so I didn't really fully uh, understand and or like how other media was portraying these neighborhoods, particularly Brownsville and East New York. I feel like everything... Every time something good is happening in the neighborhood, it's like an exception or it's like someone's trying to save someone or it's from this particular lens of violence and low income. It, it, it characterizes these neighborhoods and it doesn't allow for the people's full humanity to be in display. And so being of an immigrant background and living, I live in Crown Heights, I wanted to tell the story about the women who were leading this movement and who were helping to feed their neighborhoods. And it's a very... It's though it's a basic necessity, but these neighborhoods didn't have access to affordable fresh fruits and vegetables. And here are these women, these immigrants, adding this very important contribution to the quality of life of Central Brooklyn. And so we are joined by a few of those women uh, in the studio today. Maybe I can ask you to kind of introduce them and tell us a little bit about how you connected with them for this project. Sure, sure. So Tamara Dawson is director of programs over at Best Eye Campaign Against Hunger. Um, she is here as uh, Dr. Samuel's sort of surrogate because um, she's handling everything um, there now. Dr. Samuels is away in Jamaica. Uh, Tamara actually runs pretty much everything um, and can speak to all the programs. I think the, view, the listeners would really appreciate how complex uh, and how broad these programs are and, and how they're doing so much uh, with very limited resources. And we're also joined by Janae Joseph, who is a green teen leader. She helps run uh, the Victory Garden and the Saratoga Garden, as well as the farm stand that happens every single Saturday morning. So from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., you can go to Saratoga and Fulton and get fresh vegetables uh, 
at a very, very affordable price. I like the sound of both of those. Um, well, welcome to the studio, ladies. It's really wonderful to have you. Hi. Thanks for having us. So, Tamara, I'm going to start with you, um, Director of Programming at the Bedside Campaign Against Hunger. So, can you give us a little bit of the lay of the land or what are the kind of program categories that you guys are working with through the campaign? So, Bedside Campaign Against Hunger is mainly known for its pilot program, which is our food pantry. Last year, we were fortunate enough to feed, uh, to do 2.9 million meals to members in the community. On average, turning to our door is 25 to 30,000 individuals each month when a client enters the pantry. We provide them with food in a dignity aspect. So the pantry is not set up like a typical pantry where you get online and you receive a bag of food, but it's set up in a supermarket-style pantry, giving clients back that dignity aspect. And we stack the shelves with uh, not only whole grains, cereal, rice, and pasta, but it's very important for us to provide our clients with fresh produce. Uh, when we originally opened the pantry, we found that... Um, we were given the bags of food and people were turning these food away. They were leaving them on the sidewalk and kind of trading them uh, with other clients because they didn't eat it, whether it was because they were diabetic, like Dr. Samuels mentioned in the clip before, or culturally it didn't match their needs. And so we changed to what we know as a supermarket-style pantry. When we opened the pantry, we realized that we wanted to give clients these fresh produce. And so we started to offer all these different fresh produce produce but clients did not take them and we found that they just didn't know what to do with it uh, culturally like Swiss chard and things like that they didn't know how to provide it hence how we started to do uh, a series of educational classes educating our clients and bringing forth programs like what we have the green team where uh, Janae is a part of we have our healthy bloomers which is for uh, children young children teaching them healthy lifestyle how to know how a tomato is grown in our victory garden and where it comes from and how they can prepare healthy snacks and enjoy it and teaching our seniors that sure you're used to eating your collard greens but understanding the 20 21 different uh, vitamins that are in there you don't need to overcook it or boil it and take out all these rich nourishment like the reason why we have vegetables is you know so we get the the, the vitamins that's within it and so we develop programs like these we also try to uh, cater to the holistic approach so when a client comes in they first sit with a social worker where we help them with whether it's job readiness uh, resume writing signing them up for snap tax season doing um free tax preparation so once a client enters our door we provide them with the service and if we don't have the service then we have partners that we link up with so that we meet the need of each and every client that walks through our door and the garden has played such an important part of that process we just wanted clients to be able to have available to them not only uh, produce that they need it, but produce that cater to their culture. 
That makes a lot of sense. So, Janae, you are part of the Green Teen Program, so you mm-hmm. help run the farm stands in the Victory Gardens. How did you get involved with the program? Um, a friend of mine in high school, she told me about volunteering at Best I Can Paint Against Hunger. And I did volunteer for like a year, and I was offered a job as a Green Teen. Um, I was trained by Miss Lucy Chen. She was the gardener at the time. She's very, very good at master composter. And, you know, she shared her skills and stuff, taught us very well. And I think is in January. Dr. Samuels gave me a phone call after volunteering for two years saying that she's offering me a job as a green team leader since I've been like in the program for two years and I've been experienced. I was super excited. So yeah, that's how I came apart. So um, kind of a, a general kind of day today or like task list. What are some of the things that you're doing? Okay, my job is a green team leader. I help supervise and manage um, six teenagers from the ages of, of, of course, 13 to 19. And what we come in, we help with the maintenance of the garden. So they will come in, they will make sure there is no, like, trash around the perimeter of the garden. We will water and get harvested ready for any clients that would be coming in for that day. We would get harvest ready for the pantry, and we would weigh, we would check for aphids, checks for bugs, um, make our own um, fertilizer, which is compost. So any rotten fruits and vegetables from the pantry, we'll take it over. And we have a three-by-three compost systems, two of them actually, where we will store and chop our compost, lay them with like peat moss and get everything ready. And what I do is the Berkeley compost system, it takes around rapidly 80 to 25 days to be fully decomposed. And the teenage, they watch it, they take it out um, check the temperature and you know make sure everything every measurements are okay and we make our own pesticides as well which is probably just like soap solution or like garlic solution and stuff like that stuff that we know that would not chemically hinder the plants so yeah that's what I do on a day to day so I'm curious you know when people think about central Brooklyn they don't think about farming right. per se um, did you, when you came to the program, did you have any background? Did you guys grow stuff at home or where were you kind of coming fresh to it? And can you talk a little bit about kind of how you learned how to do all that stuff? Sure. Build compost, identify aphids, I mean. <laughs> sure. Um, I am from Guyana. It's um, the only English speaking country in South America. It's like a tip between Venezuela and Brazil. And my dad, he owns a poultry farm slash a cash crop farm. And since I was a little girl, like he would tell me, oh, go get some eggs or go pick this or have, you know, stuff get ready for the customers. So I would say I had like a tad experience like from my childhood. My mom had a garden, um, a kitchen garden, uh, which was like tomatoes, eggplants and stuff like that. She would tell me like to go water or, you know, check for bugs, make sure the worms are in the ground or there's ladybugs. So ladybugs is a good thing and stuff like that. So just I would say just a little experience. But I, as I mentioned before, um, bedstock and their um, staff, their gardener staff, trained me for two years, and that's how I gained my experience. If you don't mind. Yeah, jump in. Janae, when Janae first came with us um, about two years ago, she did have, you know, that urgency wanting to be with in the garden, especially the compost. She absolutely loved the compost, but she has really developed and shown such an interest in the garden. She, When we decided and we met, and we decided that we wanted to choose her as a leader among all her other peers. It was because of the sincere, genuine love that she had, not only for the garden, but, you know, all the plants. And, you know, she really took an interest and held on to the things that we were teaching her. 
Um, we are going to take just a quick break, and when we come back, I want to hear a little bit more um, from you guys about what we can expect in the future for the garden. So hang tight. You're listening to The Farm Report, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Burgundy by the Hollows. My lover's hands were burgundy when last she came to me. Her fingertips stripped rubies that bloomed upon her sleeve. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Hola, I'm Daisy Martinez, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, we are back. You're tuned into the Farm Report, and we are talking Central Brooklyn and growing food here in Central Brooklyn. So, Manolia, we, we talked a little bit about kind of how the idea came to pass to kind of pursue documenting this story, but I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about kind of what you thought going into the piece and what you knew of kind of the community gardening um, scene, for lack of a better word, and then, you know, what met or didn't meet your expectations as you kind of tucked in and met more of the people who are kind of really the players in that space? Well, yes. So I knew that there are parts of bed I was very active that had farmers markets. I mean, I knew of Dara Cooper's work, for example, at the bed Restoration Corporation, which, which is definitely a clearinghouse and a place where different kind of resources are accessed for, for the community. So I knew that this was happening in certain parts of bed but the parts that are just much more uh, sort of developed and parts that are more well-known, I didn't know about the other side of the neighborhood that sort of borders Brownsville and Crown Heights. I also did not know that uh, Dr. Samuels and her team started a garden right right outside of her office. Like, literally, she walked me back. She goes, come, I'll bring it to the garden. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to take a walk, and it's literally behind the office. And she's like, this is our first garden, and it's called the Victory Garden. And she would say, every garden tells a story. And she starts to tell me why... Uh, that garden story is about victory because it was the first and it's a small lot but they were able to yield 1200 pounds their first couple of years at at garden and so they impressed a lot of funders and they said you did what in the back of this garden and and then she 
in that same lot, you see um, other neighbors that sort of have their their uh, backyards face the garden. They got inspired to start gardening as well. So it wasn't just an organizational thing. Like they actually inspired residents to do this. And then, so she kept telling me about seniors' gardens, for example. There are several seniors that that. Uh, that they have helped start their own gardens uh, and healthy bloomers. They had this one, that, that program is really, really uh, exceptional because at the end of it, they help the kids learn how to make things like vegetarian chili and they take them to the botanical garden, the big, beautiful garden uh, uh, over in Prospect Heights. And so I was really amazed by the extent of the work. And then when I went to Brownsville, uh, I had heard about Miss Brenda from a couple different people. But I, the garden over there is beautiful. It's the Powell Street Garden is one of the main ones, and it's it's large, it's vast. Uh, there are beautiful trees, so cherry trees. It's literally an oasis, right uh, um, right below the train. For instance, while we were every time we had to go record. We had to stop a lot because the three train and the L train run right there on Junior Street. And so it was definitely uh, interesting to see young people with her. She had teens and she had little kids with her throughout the garden. Uh, that garden also has residents, resident lots in it. So she brought us to the other side of it. So I didn't understand the extent of the work and how beautiful these spaces were. Because when you think about Brooklyn, and you think about New York City, period, you don't think about beautiful gardens. You know they exist and you know that you, you can go to farmer's market. But that this is actually what these communities look like. For instance, Brownsville has 40 community gardens. That means there are all these beautiful green spaces. Uh, so, I, so it really helped expand my knowledge of my own of my own neighborhoods and it helped me understand the extent to which uh, these women are really accessing and maximizing their resources I didn't and you know the best thing is when they would they would each walk me through they each had a very similar uh, background I don't know if they know this about each other so both Miss Brenda and Dr. Samuels came here 30 years ago mm-hmm. uh, they both and both programs started their hoop house, the greenhouse, around the same time because they had the same challenges around the weather. Here, climate change starts to play a role in this, too, because uh, as 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 Janae and Tamara can explain later on, uh, in terms of how how different vegetables were really suffering because of of the temperatures were really cold, so they had to build these greenhouses, and they actually look similar, which is really interesting. So these parallel uh, experiences are happening in very similar neighborhoods and it makes you feel like it's not one person you know coming to save people it's a group of people coming together to solve problems and to and to build healthy communities yeah so on that note Tamara I think one of the kind of interesting things we were talking about before the show is you know the community building aspect of this and it's a community meeting the needs of the community and so I wonder if you can talk a little bit I mean I feel like uh, urban gardening or urban farming is like something that's been very buzzy in the last couple of years but it's not a new idea it's not a new thing and I'm, I'm wondering from your purview like what you've seen as kind of the evolution of that space and like how it integrates into the work you do through the pantry so with the with the way that the garden really started with us is we had uh, Dr. Samuels one day was sitting in her office and yeah and behold behind the office is this lot and the lot is full of 
basically garbage it's like a dump zone rodents and things like that and being from the caribbean she was born and raised in jamaican west indies she knew what it was like to have be able to go outside and to pick some produce and here you have clients who are suffering from diabetes and high blood pressure and they're saying we're living in um a food desert you know the availability for fresh produce was not readily available. So she thought to herself, we have this lot, why don't we use it? And so she uh, reached out to quite a few people and um, asked, could this be done? Could we make a garden here? And everyone said, no, 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 no. This is impossible because you have no way of getting the dirt out. We would have to dig uh, um, dig down, clear out all the debris, get the testing. And you can't exactly take this dirt by walking it through your office space. So this isn't possible. But she was very determined that she wanted to meet the needs of the people in the community and give them availability organic produce you know produce on a whole was not available and then to have organic produce and taste the difference and experience the difference and so she was really determined and we asked and uh there's a vacant lot a couple doors down and we asked them you know what if we were able to track everything through your lot would you give us permission to do that so we decided we got the okay and we started from there and then we looked to our neighbor and said hey you have this vacant lot too can we also use your lot and they were happy to give back to the community because again this was wasted lot space and it was full with rodents and things like that so that's how it basically began and um, then we went across the street and we asked two other uh, people to do if we could use their garden and it just blossomed and uh, grew into what it is we thought it was important not only to have the garden but to supply the demand of the people in the community so being that we had the food pantry we quickly did surveys and we said to everyone if you had a garden what kind of produce would you want to see in the garden and you found that uh, the West Indians were more um, wanted the Kalaloo uh, things along those lines while the Americans wanted the collard green and the Swiss chard was something that a lot of people weren't aware of the kale wasn't really readily available to people in the community and they didn't really know about it we were learning this from teaching uh, cooking class and you know they didn't know what to do with it so even if we had it available so we started to educate them and then after educating them they wanted to see these things into the garden so that's how we decided what would be the main things in the garden we've continued to do that to this day every year we take a survey among the clients to see what their needs are and then after a while uh, we decided that we wanted to bring in the chickens and then we began to educate clients on the difference with the yolk and the coloring and the taste and things along those nature and Janae, can you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, run, running the farm stand and putting that together? Like, I'm just curious, like, when you're setting up shop, like, what are the kind of, like, hot ticket items that kind of sell out first? Sure. And, like, what are some of, like, the questions that you get? Okay, the farmer's market is from on Saturdays from 10 to 2, as Mignola mentioned. And the hot ticket 
items or produce are, as we mentioned before, kalalu and the collard greens. And we will display that first. And passers-by, like before I will have the green teens, like we will hand out flyers to let our neighbors know, like, listen, we're here and we're here to provide for you. And they will come in and we even have like a little um, guest sheet or for guests to sign up. And we will ask like questions like, what do you want to see in the fall? What do you want to have us planned for you? This is for you. And collard greens is, oh my goodness, like I would, <laughs> on, a, on an average, I would do like at least 40 pounds of collard greens, like just on a Saturday morning on four hours. And the same as well with Kalalu. And questions I would get like from the Americans it would be how do I cook kalalu because they have no idea how to cook kalalu and they're like do you have any recipes and I would give them like personal recipes or what I've learned from bedside campaign against hunger like cooking demonstration when the chefs the chefs will come in and give us like these little cards of recipes I would give them stuff like that and the um, Caribbean or the West Indies will come and say listen how do I cook collard greens and you know it's like a vice versa thing and you know I make it like I try to make it like a fun experience when people come in and have them harvest their own vegetables I have them take a tour and walk around and you know as Manuel said it's an oasis I want it to be like a fun experience like you know community coming together kind of feeling yeah that makes a lot of sense can you talk a little bit like at the actual garden some of the other teens that you manage are people who are coming to the program how do they how do they get referred to you how do you kind of like build your team through the food pantry through the food pantry right they're like like most of my teens they're their parents like it's problematic they cannot afford to I guess send their or afford to provide their kids with proper meals so what we would do like we would set up like a little application thing um, in the office of the food pantry and then we will do like interviews and have them write essays on why they need to be in the garden and these are people that I've worked with when I was a green teen. These are returning green teens. Those are were mature already in the program and for hiring like we pick like the best of the best because we want people that want to be in the garden, that want to have that experience, want to gain garden skills and at the end of the program we want them to make their own garden and, you know and send pictures to us and like oh um, Janae, this is what I've did, or Tamir, send pictures to the organization, this is what I've learned, stuff like that. And I will say that um, also with the applicants, we have a program called the Stomp Out Obesity Program, where we go into uh, local schools to teach uh, healthy eating, teach children how to make healthy decisions. And we also pick from the schools so that it's not only people from the pantry, but also from the school. So we, we not isolate, but we pick out students that stand out and want to go forward in it. A lot of our green teens have uh, gone through uh, different experiences, whether it's with their family, not only financial hardship, but mentally struggle through uh, different problems. For example, uh, one of our green teen had um, originally, she she's moved into the office now, but before she had seen her mother be murdered uh, in right before her eyes and so getting into the community coming into the country uh, she saw this happen in Jamaica she came up here struggled with her father bringing up here bringing her here and then her father even leaving her 
and then leaving her with this mother that she basically really didn't know but coming into a situation like the garden helps to give them the therapy that they need to get through what they're experiencing at that moment and to build a family within the green teens and the same with our seniors we find that when you come into the garden and work in the program it's not only educating you and yes giving you food but it's the community where you feel that it's a family where your family lacks so kind of looking towards the future i mean obviously you guys it sounds like have been really successful in kind of leveraging the resources and like looking towards the community to um support your growth and and to but what what do you need like what would be kind of like helpful like wh- where are the kind of gaps um that you're kind of like looking to fill in and who are you looking to to help kind of fill those from like uh, adding to your resources well funding is always something that is needed um, to help with, you know, just maintenance and sustaining of the garden. We the teens that come in to the program, we give them a stipend because they're also learning and helping in the family. When I do the interview, when you ask the, the teens, why do you really want to be here? They say, I need the money to help my family. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's great to have the garden, but for these kids, we give them a stipend. We don't only educate them, but we want to help to alleviate some of the stress. So that's why funding is important. Volunteers are also important. People who are willing to come in and say, you know what, I don't mind. I have an hour or two and I want to do some weeding or, you know, I want to help with some compost. And so that's something that's very important to the gardener. Say, I'll spend an hour on Saturday, maybe not the whole four hours, but one hour and help out. Also, volunteers who who um, have skills structurally on how to help us to uh, build so corporations that are willing to come in and say, I would like to help sponsor um, a project in the garden like uh we have some structures that we would like to finish build, but we don't have the manpower and the funding to continue with the structure so those are our two major needs right now i'm kind of shifting gears a little bit and we're almost out of time here but manoli i think can you talk a little bit um you know kind of coming back to the beginning where you felt like this story was being reflected in either kind of that insider outsider culture um are that for folks who are out there kind of like listening right now like what is uh what are, what are things like you wish in the media that you were seeing more of or the goal of you know putting together a podcast like the work that you're doing here like what do you hope people will walk away with um after after they listen or if they get a chance to come out and visit the gardens um what's kind of the the broader goal of of that story the broader goal of the stories, all the stories that we produce, is to expand people's knowledge of each other's humanity. Just because someone is from somewhere else or lives in a different neighborhood that you're not used to or speaks a language that you don't know uh, doesn't mean that you guys don't have a lot in common. And also, um, if you're in media, you're in a position of authority because you get you get to filter and choose what how you build a character of a neighborhood, how you build a character of a group of people, how you build a character of um, a particular issue, how you frame an issue. And I think that part of that is the lack of diversity that exists in newsrooms around the country. And if folks who do... Who, if you do find someone who comes into these neighborhoods, they come in with a frame already that's not an open-minded. Like, I want to get to know these people like you would anywhere else. So I think for us, 
We cover immigrant communities because they're an intrinsic part of New York City's identity and they bring so much. They help us you know, grow and raise uh, fresh produce. They bring amazing foods and, 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 and cultures. You know, they, they bring a sense of very hard working ethic, but they also bring a lot of fun. Uh, and I would invite anyone to uh, go down Fulton Street a little bit further towards Saratoga or take the take the three or the L train all the way down to Brownsville and go to some of the places and, and go shopping, you know, um, go go and find fresh produce. Go, go support this work by going to either the Powell Street Garden, it's at the corner of Livonia and Powell Street, or go to the Saratoga Garden, it's the corner of Saratoga and Fulton, and go support the work. I think the best thing to do is to is to and actually, to be frank with you, it's pretty cheap. I was <laughs> get some deals. <laughs> yeah, get some really good deals because when she, you know when Janae Janae is very generous at the farm stand in terms of like <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm seeing like pounds of collards. She's like, yeah, five dollars, and I'm like, wait, what? Um, so because they're not really making a big profit, no. it's, a, it's a nonprofit organization, and they're feeding a low income community. So. It has to be reasonable, but if you are from the other side of the neighborhood, uh, go and support the work by buying and telling your friends about it. Uh, and they're very open. It's it's a very sort of you don't feel like you're an, on the out, uh, an outsider because it's literally on Fulton Street, so it's on a main on a main block. But while you're there, stop by some of the local businesses. You know, eat some Caribbean food or buy some. There's a wonderful African garment shop that's right down the street. You know. And, and if you also have access to, I, I think, uh, either corporate or large organizations that have extra food, you know, figure out a way to contact the food pantry and see if you can get fresh or, or organic or natural foods into the pantry. So I think supporting the work by approaching it as I, I'm helping and I'm learning about different people and, and their needs. I think that's, that's sort of what I would leave everyone with. And the last thing. The very the second clip you guys heard was Dara talking about what food is, right? That food is healing, uh, food is nourishment, uh, and to Tamara's point, that yes, in these gardens, these young people, all the way up to the seniors, are learning how to grow naturally. They're 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 in their hands are in the dirt, but they're also moving away from. Uh, some of the tough and hard life that New York City can bring, right? So it becomes a healing place. It becomes a place of community. And it becomes a place that where everyone is accepted as long as you want to grow food and you want to learn culture. Um, and you want to find a random... My favorite thing that I saw, just because, again, I'm from the Caribbean, was we were taking pictures of the of the garden and Janae was walking us through and I saw a sign that said sorrel. Mm-hmm. So you can get fresh-grown sorrel right there in um, Bed-Stuy. That's not something that I think a lot of people know. And so we may drink the juice, right? You may, you may, you may go to a um, Caribbean spot and, you know, you get your jerk chicken plate and you may add some sorrel. But you don't know you can actually get fresh sorrel and you grow it and then you get to learn from someone from the, from the island how to make it. So I like to leave people with that uh, aspect of learning, learning each other and being much more open-minded and remembering that everyone you meet you should be met with dignity so if you're telling their story if you're hearing about their work and if you're getting to learn their culture it should be done through a place of dignity ladies thank you so much thank you it was really great to have you on i hope that we'll 
have you back in the studio soon. Okay, if I can just add, um, if anyone want any more information on Bed-Stuy Campaign Against Hunger, they can always visit our website at bedstuyagainsthunger.org. Again, that's bedstuyagainsthunger.org. Thank you. Awesome, you took the words right out of my mouth. And then Feet in Two World, we'll be looking forward to that podcast, and you will be, we'll add a link to this web um, webpage uh, through Heritage. And- you, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at hashtag food in two worlds. So our main handle is at Feet Into Worlds or feetintoworlds.org. But the hashtag where we have all this yummy food uh, display will be hashtag food in two worlds. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. This show, like all 35 of our live weekly programs, is available for free uh, by visiting our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. You can also find us on iTunes or Stitcher. We are a member-supported nonprofit radio station. We definitely depend on your support. So if you believe in what we're doing and want to become a member, definitely click the Donate tab on our website. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.